I invite you to open in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 2. Mark 2. Have you ever been over to family friends or friends and uh, they open up a board game and then they go on to explain, you know, you might be familiar with the board game, but then they explain their family rules, all the additional rules that they've made up over the years. And you wonder, that's not how we played it as a family. That's not how we did it. And, and they've created all these extra rules because they, they found out a little cheater in their family or they found a loophole in the game or they just had to create all the extras. Well, that's what the Pharisees often did because, you know, they saw certain religious people finding loopholes or pushing the boundaries. So they started adding rules, adding traditions, and then calling it law. If you don't abide by what we have said, you have broken the law, they would say. But their version of the law was way out here when the law of God was here. They had put so many new rules and new boundaries there that they would then require people to make sure you're keeping the law. And people would say, wait, I thought I knew the law, but now there seems to be a whole new realm of thinking that I'm just not familiar with and I can't keep up. And so often you would see the Pharisees accusing people, even Jesus and his own disciples in this example here that we have in this text this morning, because of the exploded family rules of the Pharisees. So here in Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, I'll begin to read. It says, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter three, verse one says again. He entered the synagogue, and a man there was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether they could, um, uh, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. These Pharisees had created so many extra rules, they didn't even realize how it hardened their hearts towards people. Right before them, people. They didn't care if the disciples hadn't eaten in a week. They didn't care if this man was unaccepted by his family. They didn't care. 
They cared about their padded version of the rules so much so that their hearts were hard towards people. And it angered Jesus. It grieved Jesus. And they were all about this on the Sabbath. The things you could and could not do on the Sabbath. Still today, practicing Jews are religious about their Sabbath rule-keeping. Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, a Jewish hospital, has a Sabbath elevator so that they don't have to work to press a button as to what floor they get off at. It opens at every single floor in the entire hospital. So that, if there's a Jewish doctor or a patient, they don't have to press the button because that's work on the Sabbath. They would just wait and the elevator will open and it will stop at every floor so they don't have to work to press the button. Because if they did that, they thought they were disobeying God to press the button on the Sabbath to them, which is Saturday. It's incredible to think of this. And what if, what if there's a need? What if there's a person who, who, who needs the elevator emergence? You know, you can't wait. Then what? Are you going to let them suffer and die because you couldn't get up to the floor quick enough? You had to wait for the elevator to stop? Where, where is your compassion for the needy, the hungry, the lame? And so Jesus, it says there in verse 23 of chapter 2, on the Sabbath, so it tells us this, the situation. They were on the Sabbath, which was their Saturday, and he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. They plucked this head of grain. And the Pharisees, they looked at Jesus and said, Already remember what the Pharisees have been like, well, why does he eat with the sinners and tax collectors? You know, why does he do this? Why does he do that? They're just adding on accusation and accusation to Jesus. They're building their case against him. Their hatred is being stirred towards Jesus. And they're thinking, there's no way he, this man's of God because he doesn't keep our laws. Because anyone knows nowadays the most holy of holies is us. We are holy. We are righteous. We're the ones who please God. So clearly, Jesus is not pleasing God. So they were building their case to accuse him. They say, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? It's interesting because what they were doing was lawful according to Moses' law. It was not according to the Pharisee tradition. all Because the, 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 the tradition was you could not labor, and there was a million rules in Leviticus about, you know, you couldn't drag a plow. And so they, the Jewish people then and now, would not, uh, they had dirt floors in their homes. And so if there was a chair, they would have on Friday already pulled it out. So that on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, if they happened to sit in it and move it a little bit, and it created a little line in the dirt... They were guilty of breaking the Sabbath because they had plowed. They had plowed. And so they were, they were meticulous about the loss. They, they, could, they could only walk 3,000 miles in the day or something. I forget the measurement, I, whether it was miles or not. They could only walk so far in the day, and, and then that was it on the Sabbath. So what they would do in order to you know, bend the rules is they would uh, put some things, put some food at the edge of the 3,000. And so then they could say, oh, that extends our another, another 3,000. So now our, our zone is 6,000. They try to find their way through the rules. But in order to try to keep the law where God says, don't work, don't labor, don't carry on in your regular rhythm of labor on the Sabbath day, give this day to rest and to the Lord. They said, well, we need to start making sure that people don't even pull the chair out. 
The, the, the people do not fluff their blanket on their bed because that's work. And, and what if you happen to kill a bug off that? Then, then you've murdered on the Sabbath. And it's ridiculous. But they create all these rules to try to protect the law. To try to set the boundary way out far so that they wouldn't even get close to breaking the rules. But instead of just saying, hey, we've set some good boundaries for ourselves out here. They said, this is the law. And everyone must abide by this tradition that we have set. And so often you'll read in the New Testament, it'll be called tradition when we would call it legalism. They've set rules that are not the rules that God has set. And they are requiring others to follow it. That's legalism. We've talked about that recently in our Bible study about, you know, um, laying, you know, you might struggle with a certain sin or a certain temptation. And so you've set boundaries really far out. But it's not okay and it's not fair for you to require everybody else to follow your boundary. Somebody else might be able to get a lot closer to not breaking the, the sin in their heart than you are. So for you to require you know, everybody to, to dress a certain way or to, to talk a certain way or to use certain instruments in a church because this maybe uh, is, is ruinous to your heart and you're, you're tempted to whatever, to require everybody to be out here is not okay. And, but that's what the Pharisees did. They set these boundaries way out here and then they called it law. But what's interesting is even though Jesus' disciples did not break the law, the, the Mosaic law, he brought David into the picture. The, the Pharisees loved it. King David, the great and mighty King David, the man after God's own heart. This is David. And so Jesus brought up David. They know David. They know David's story well, inside and out. And so then he brings up David in verse 25. And oh, it's incredible how he literally pierces the sword right through these Pharisees. He says, have you never read? Of course they had. They had memorized the Torah. They knew the Old Testament well. They knew their uh, church history. They knew their family lineage. And when Jesus says, have you never read? Oh, did that ever anger them? Because these were the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones who they were the ones who knew the law. You didn't ask them if they had ever read, and so Jesus is poking at them. Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those with him. Verse 26, he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. So he's pointing to an example that is uh, found in uh, 1 Samuel 20, verses 30 and 31, where David had been fleeing King Saul. King Saul was after him to kill him. So he's out. He's a fugitive in the middle of nowhere, hungry, in need. And David goes to the priest uh, Ahimelech at the time, which is uh, Abathar's father. He goes to him and he tells him a little story. It's not fully true. In order to get uh, Ahimelech to give him the bread. And what's amazing, we find out only later in 1 Samuel that uh, it says Ahimelech um, consulted the Lord. Like he prayed about it. He asked for God's um, permission to give this bread to David. It says that in 1 Samuel 22.10. It says, um, he inquired of the Lord and gave him provision. So he had asked God, is this right? Because I know it's not lawful. But is it right to do? And he had concluded that God had, had allowed him to give that bread to David and his companions because they were starving. 
So he concluded it was right, and for that, Ahimelech was killed, and all of the priests at the time. And so David then, this one who's the man after God's own heart, goes to the house of God, eats this unlawful bread. It was only for the priests because he was in need. And it was something approved by God. And so then now, uh, fast forward to these disciples, doing what is lawful, and yet it's not within the Pharisees' tradition. And so then Jesus says, Didn't, don't you remember what David did when he was in need? Don't you, like, what do you have to say to that? Are you saying that David was wrong? Are you saying that God was wrong to allow that for David? So here we have men who are not breaking Mosaic law, but yet you want to pick them apart. Because you seem to think that the Sabbath is Lord. That the Sabbath and all of its rules that you have created is the end of your life, the goal of your life. So then he says in verse 27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying, do you determine the Sabbath or do I? Do you determine what is lawful and right and good on the Sabbath or do I? He says, it was made for man. It wasn't made by you. It wasn't made uh, for your worship. You were not made for the Sabbath, but instead man was made and the Sabbath was instituted by God as a day of rest from regular work, a day of focus on the Lord, dedication to the Lord. And Jesus is pointing out here the, the, the precise reason why the Jews um, made such uh, stringent rules about the Sabbath was so that they could display to all the other nations their dependence on God. Because everybody else just kept working. Seven days a week, we have to work or we will die. We have to work or we will not eat. We have to work or we will not survive. And the Jewish people were to set apart this one day saying, we trust God. If we don't work today, we don't plow today, if we don't do all these things today, our God still takes care of us. It was an act of faith to obey the Sabbath uh, that God had instituted. It spoke, it demonstrating their trust in God's provision. That was the main thing of the Sabbath, is this demonstration of God's provision for the people. Their trust in Him. It was good for their faith. It increased their dependence on God. And so it was made for them. They were not made to just match in and mesh into a, a Sabbath thing and all these rules. Instead, the Sabbath was created for their good. That they may rest from their vocational work. That they may trust in God with that time and that day specifically. But they had made it something more than that. And it's interesting how we relate to the idea of Sabbath today because Sabbath, scripturally, is on a Saturday. It's at the end of the week. And Sabbath, uh, originally created by God for the people, was to reflect his Sabbath. Six days he created and then he rested on the seventh. Well, that's not how we celebrate the Lord's Day. It's different than the Sabbath. The Sabbath was after, as a rest, the Lord's Day is at the beginning depending on grace. So Sabbath is you've worked, now you rest. The Lord's day is you rest because the work's already been done and it's all grace and then you live your week. That's why we celebrate the Lord's day on, on Sunday as the first of the week, as the, the 
recollecting when Christ rose from the dead anew. It's the work has been done. We, we don't have to rest from the work. We're already resting in Jesus. And then we're refreshed and, and energized and to serve God with our week. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Day on a Sunday. And it's not Sabbath. There's no necessary rules keeping. That's not instituted in the New Testament at all. The Lord's Day is, yes, that we would gather, we would not neglect to gather with God's people for serving one another and hearing from God and praying to God. But it's not because we're trying to work and and make sure that we stay within his rules or, or work to make sure that he still loves us or that he approves all of our work. No, we rest in him first. We rest in the finished work of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I have Lord it over, I have fulfilled the Sabbath. The work is done. There is nothing to rest from anymore. When, when it comes to pleasing God and keeping the law, I've done it. I've done it. So rest in me. It's incredible to see that the transformation in the Sabbath realm. But these Pharisees were stuck on their traditions and their rules, and it had hardened their hearts. They were hardened towards the disciples. They didn't care if they were hungry. They cared about the rules. And then going on into chapter 3, it shows us a deepening of their their hardness of heart towards people. Look at chapter 3. It says, and again, in synagogue, there was a man with a withered hand. And this man uh, was, obviously we know in in that day and age, to have any sort of visible or, or physical, or any sort of disability in any sense, you were an outcast. An absolute outcast. You were unclean, you were unwelcomed, you could not serve. People did not want to serve you if they were the religious elite. And so there's this man in, in desperate need in their presence at the house of God, at the synagogue that day. Did they have a care for him? Nope. You see what, who they were watching? They weren't watching that man to see if he was okay, if he needed help with anything. No. Who were they watching? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. Verse 2 says, and they watched Jesus. And, and you know, lots of people watch Jesus. You and I watch Jesus, but what for? Is it, is it, in it how can we can trap him? Of course, as, as a believer, we don't watch him in that way. But, you know, if you're, if you're not yet a believer, you know, you're kind of examining Jesus to see if he is indeed that liar or that lunatic. There's an examining of, of, of the Lord Jesus and see, what is he? Who is he? Because he's just declared a number of times already that he is on par with God the Father. That he is able to forgive sins because he seems to be God. That he is uh, the Lord of the Sabbath. Who is he? So they're watching him to see what he would do. They watch Jesus, it says, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Some people say, well, you know, was that man planted? Like, did the Pharisees go find this guy, bring him into the synagogue just to see, oh, let's see what Jesus does? That's all conjecture. We can't, it's not in the text. It's, it's probable, but it's not here, so we wouldn't suggest it. But they wanted to see. It's almost like they're trying to trap him. Whether they put the man there or not, whether they convince this man to be there or not, they were trying to trap Jesus. They were watching him to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Why'd they want to accuse him? Why'd they want to accuse him? Because in their mind, they've already said that he's blasphemous. 
that he's, he's equating himself with God. But yet, don't they have enough ammo? They're trying to accuse him of more, of breaking the Sabbath, because that's awful to the Jewish people of the time. Verse 3, he said to the man with the withered hand, come, come here. Not, not stay over there, not stay in the back, not go unnoticed, but come, come near to me. As Jesus always says to those of us who are broken and crippled, he says, come, you have a brokenness that you can't do anything about, come to me. So he, come, so he comes over, and then verse 4 says, And he said to them, the Pharisees, so he calls, I mean, picture this. There's a man with a withered hand, and he says, Come, come here. And he comes over to him, and then he looks at the Pharisees. He says to them, not to this man, he's not going to say, Well, what's wrong with you, and how come, you know, was there any sin in your life? Instead, he looks at the Pharisees, who are plagued with sin inside and out, and he says to them, question, fellas, you guys are, are, are well-scribed in the law. He says, is it lawful? So he's asking them because he knows that's what they're really about in their heart. Is it lawful? Is it not lawful? He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? And then he says, to save or to kill. Is it lawful? I want you to answer which one's lawful. What was their answer? Nothing crickets. While they were there trying to trap him and accuse him, he flipped it on them. And now they are the ones with the gun pointed at them going, wait a second, if we answer this wrong, we're going to be made fools of before this entire synagogue. So they sat silence. In silence. Is it, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? That's a great question. Is it lawful? Well, he just gave the example of David. And it, whether or not it was lawful was not even the question anymore. The question was, was it right? Was it right? Because he knows these Pharisees care about the law. They don't care whether that's right. But he's pointing something deeper to them. Doing good or doing harm. Saving or killing. It's interesting because he had already pointed out David had indeed broke the law. The Mosaic law. David broke the laws, what he's holding up just prior. And now he says, now, my disciples didn't break the law. And now we're going to talk about, is it lawful? You're wondering if I'm going to break the Sabbath law right now. Is it lawful for me to do good and not harm? What is it? What is it? It's so interesting to think that this man who's now broken before this synagogue now made a display out of. And Jesus is using this to show not his brokenness, but the Pharisees. He's going to show them exactly that their hearts are hard towards a creation of God. A man made in God's own image. And the Pharisees could not care less about his good or about his life. They could not care less. And so Jesus then uh, points out to them, says, it's good to to do what's right on the Sabbath. It's interesting to think, because if you don't choose to do what's good, are you just choosing to harm someone? In, in some, in a lot of situations, it is, right? It, it's one way or the other. You, could, you have a choice. You can either do what is good and helpful, or you can do what's not helpful. And so many times we think, like, if doing good, why, why don't I do good sometimes? 
Why would I choose not to do good? Why would I choose not to do what is, is good or life-giving to someone? Well, the only reason we would choose the other way is self-interest. For these Pharisees, it was self-preservation of their holiness, their appearances they keep up, their rule-keeping. The only reason we would choose not to do good to someone, which ends up in their harm, is self-interest with our resources. I don't have the time to give to that person. Uh, I don't want to make my pennies pinch that far. I don't have the energy to give to that person. It's not comfortable. What, what if I'm putting myself at risk? Uh, so there's lots of questions about, well, is that, is that going to make me look bad if I help that person? That's what the Pharisees are thinking all the time. So what about me? What about me? Like, we don't care how desperate this man is. We don't care how hungry the disciples are or how hurting this man is. We don't care. We need to preserve ourselves and our image. It may have never be true of our hearts to be Pharisee-like in this way, where, where we have the option to do what is good or to do harm. May we always choose to do what's good. Putting ourselves aside, putting our, our own appearances aside, our own energy and efforts aside, say, none of that matters for the sake of, I can do good to someone right now. I often think of this, you know, when I'm driving down the highway and you see somebody pulled over with the four ways on. Like, do I do good? Like, do I even just check on them? How many of us just drive by, go around, say, well, what if it's risky? What if it's a trap? What if it's, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. You know what I mean? How many of us who have the ability still choose not? Which in that moment is harmful for them. Their harm or their, their disfortune is carrying on because we chose not to do good. I think of that often as I drive. I try to stop, but I'm always like way too late for everything anyways. And I, and I never have time to stop for people. And it's like, man, I need to make time. Like that next thing's not as important as, as this person who might need help. Because the times I have stopped and helped people, it's like, man, what a blessing that I've been able to be to them, encourage them, pray with them. Like I've had countless opportunities to be able to do that. And I was like, why do I ever choose not to do that anymore? Because I'm just, my time is more valuable to me than to them. And it's just not okay. And so even if it was, it was against the law for me to pull over and help these people, shouldn't I still do it? I should still do what's right, shouldn't I? And that's the question that Jesus is getting to the heart here. If something is right and right by people, God's creation, is it not right to do it? Even if someone else determined to set a rule that says it's not. You do what's right. Do what's right. And sometimes breaking the law is right. David, in his situation, to break the Mosaic law was right. Is it right to break the law when people hid Jews under their floorboards in Nazi Germany? It was the law. But they broke it, and it was right to do that. Because they did good and, 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 and preserved life of these people. So that they might love them. And so Jesus is getting at the same heart in these Pharisees. And they were silent. They stood silent. Because they had now been accused of something. First off, accused that they didn't know the, the, the story of David. Now secondly, they're accused that their, their hearts don't care about preservation of life or doing what is good. And then verse 5 it says, And he looked around at them. He looked right at them, looked them in the eyes. They probably had their heads hung down, probably couldn't look at them face to face. But he looked around at them with anger. With anger. 
And he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. How could you be so hard towards a man who's right before you, a man? You can get to know his name. You can get to know if he has family. This is a man. How can you be so hard towards this man? And for what? So you might appear holy? Why would you do that? Jesus was righteously angry towards these Pharisees. He was grieved. He was broken of heart because of their stone-cold hearts. May that never be true of our hearts, that they would be so hardened towards people because of something we're trying to, uh, we're so self-interested, we're so self-focused. It would grieve Jesus' heart if we chose to, to because we choose not to good, we're going to choose to harm someone, or if we choose not to preserve life, that we choose to take life, to kill. Um, it, Jesus will be grieved in heart. He's shown right here that this is a hardness of heart. It is a self-focus and centeredness. So with this anger, with this grief, he then looks to the man. He says to him, stretch out your hand. So the question the Pharisees were getting at there was they were wanting to accuse him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, to know if that, that healing would be a work that Jesus was doing, a vocation, something that obviously he's now in the business of. Was he going to do that even on the Sabbath where it's not lawful to work? Jesus says, it's not about the law. It's about a man. It's about a heart. It's about good and life. So they wanted to accuse him, and guess what? They got what they wanted. They they expected that he would heal him. Uh, And they were hoping that he would heal him. So they could uh, accuse him, it said, and so that they might trap him. The man stretched out his hand, and his hand was restored. It's it's interesting, right, because it it mentions his hand. He says in verse 1, it was a withered hand. It was withered. Like likely no muscle tissue in his hand, crippled, closed. And now he stretched it out and it was restored. It's incredible what Jesus just did by speaking to him. Stretch out your hand. And the man who's never been able to stretch out his hand before does it. It's incredible. The power of Jesus and really the heart of Jesus. And you contrast that with the heart of the Pharisees in verse 6. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. How are we going to destroy him? He is breaking everything that we think is right and good. And he is embarrassing us. He's putting us to shame. Trying to accuse us that we have no heart. How do we destroy him? How do we get rid of him? And so they began to... uh, counsel with these other people, these other groups of the religious elite, say, how are we going to destroy this man, Jesus? And we know ultimately that they, they did in earthly terms. They got the crowd to say, crucify him. They got what they wanted. But what they really needed was self-awareness, not self-interest. They needed to know exactly what Jesus was seeing in their hearts. Like, why did they not just respond in utter repentance and absolute grief? When Jesus saw the hardness of their hearts, their response to this miracle, 
to this display of the reminder of, of Jesus' power and authority over the body and the Sabbath and everything, their response was not to rejoice that this man had been made whole. They didn't rejoice. Their response was not to weep in their heart because they had wrongly accused Jesus of something. Or they didn't weep over their legalism, even if it meant the harm of a man. They didn't weep over their jealousy for the power of Jesus. They didn't weep over their lack of compassion or their, their desire for continued pain for this man. They didn't care. They didn't have sorrow in their hearts because of their hatred towards Jesus. These men did not respond in repentance. They didn't just tremble at the display of spoken power out of Jesus' mouth. They didn't fall down and worship him. Instead, they left in the hardness of their hearts and went out to destroy him. How revealing is that? If you're faced with, with what you are, and, and then you're faced with Jesus, you can see the extent of the hardness of their heart. They, they didn't care. All they saw was themselves. It's, it's heartbreaking. It really is because, you know, in our lives, we see we're the same. Self-interested, self-preserved. Everything's about me, me, me. And then when the gospel of Christ comes and pulls us away from that, uh, our hearts change. And obviously, they're still plagued by selfishness every day. But we want to please God and we want to do what's right. We want to uh, copy what he has done in the world and caring for others. And yet, there's some who, who can even see it right before their very eyes and still be hard towards Christ. May we pray for them. May we pray that our hearts would never even reflect that. That even as we have a sense of self-preservation or self-interest above the good of others, that we may pause and remember the grief in Jesus' heart towards these rule keepers, these rule makers. That they would make rules that would even mean the continued discomfort and harm of a man and they will be okay keeping them it should break our hearts it should break our hearts when when that exists when rules exist in order to try to create a cushion that just to for what for keeping up appearances should break our hearts may we never have a heart that reflects the pharisees let's pray well god you are so kind to us even in our rebellion, when we uh, have in the past been hard-hearted as the Pharisees are, and even after you have given us a new heart, a heart that can feel, a heart that is uh, desiring to please you, even after that, we still rebel against you. We still have ourselves in mind. We just pray you would forgive us, and that you would help us. You would help us to see the warning signs where we are, we are not caring for the good of people. I pray that we would not be so caught up in rules that we have set in our own lives and try to instill them in others' lives that we would miss the point, that we would miss the people in front of us, we would miss the opportunities. God, I pray you would help us to take every opportunity that you've given us to do what Christ has done, to do good, and to give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.